Father, I would ask that you would give us insight, wisdom beyond our years, how we are to treat those who are very wealthy, who have an easy life, for we know that riches are deceitful. I also pray that you would give us wisdom in dealing with those who have no wealth whatsoever, who maybe are homeless and are on the street. I pray that you would give us your heart for these individuals and help us not to fall into either vein, those who are poor and prideful or those who are rich and prideful. So, Father, again, I pray for wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. So, would any one of us be more respectful or give more attention to or want to have a more in-depth conversation with the desire to extend favors to Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, over some random stranger on the street? Would we like to sit down and have a conversation with them over somebody on the street who is poor and have a conversation with them? Would we have a bent towards that more often, I think, fleshly speaking? Yes, we would. Now, in order to qualify in the church for a position of leadership, the person must be devoid of the love of money. And we know that the love of money is the root of all evil. It is not the money itself that is the evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And in the parable of the sower of the seed, the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches choke it out. In other words, if somebody claims to follow Christ and they want to do so, but the worries of this life, and that means family, job, you know, children, parents, all of those things that come in, plus wealth, that can drag somebody away from the faith and make them ineffective. They'll never produce any fruit, and I believe they're not even saved. So how hard is it for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom? You know the verse. It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. That simply means it's impossible. A camel cannot fit through the eye of a needle. It, It is not going to happen. And again, money is not in itself evil. It's the love of money That is, so we do well to stay away from the love of money, even though it is necessary for our existence in this world. But what is our view about those who have accumulated wealth or inherited that same wealth? I think it's a natural impulse to give a little extra honor to those who are rich. It may be because they have certain skill set, a bit of wisdom that we might glean to improve our own good fortune. I, I know somebody who is investing in Bitcoin. And they actually came to the church here, and we were talking about the Bitcoin. I was kind of fascinated. It was probably a year ago or so. And I was going, how do you do that? He goes, you know, it requires a a specific skill set to do that. You have to know what you're doing when you get into the Internet. You get into the cryptocurrency. You have to watch what you're doing. He goes, but one morning, you know, I woke up after putting $1,000 into crypto, and I woke up the next day, and there's $17,000 sitting in the account. I go, tell me more. You know, I wanted to sit down and have some lunch with this guy. But, you know, I didn't do that. It's it's a skill set. You can't just hop right into it and think that you're going to do okay. So those who would counsel you would say, if you want to be wealthy, those in the world, if you want to be wealthy, hang out with the wealthy. And that makes a lot of sense. 
Because those people who are wealthy, they did it somehow, and what did they do? And, of course, it's the pursuit of wealth. Now, everybody needs a little bit of wealth. God tells us we're supposed to have a job, and we're supposed to have an overabundance in that job so that we might have something to share with those who are around us. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to give liberally not only to his work, but to those who are around us who are in need. So all this points to, though, this hidden desire to benefit self. When we want to meet somebody, when we want to pay them a special honor, it benefits us. We're looking towards us. We're not looking towards someone else who might be out there necessarily to benefit them. We want to increase our standing as far as wealth is concerned. And ergo, we treat the rich differently than we would treat anyone else. This is natural for us to do this. Now, remember in context, James wrote this little letter to the 12 tribes of Israel. He wrote it to Jews. And Jews oftentimes were uh, excluded from some of the trades. And so they had to find out what they were supposed to do. And they had to make an income. And so they often became middlemen. They often became bankers. And they became wealthy doing this. I heard one person say the other day that the Jewish nation as a whole has an average of three to five percentage points higher IQ than the rest of the people in the world as a people group. And so you combine that with their ability to make wealth, and it's like, okay, this could be an issue for them, and God has a lot to say, or Jesus has a lot to say about this. Now, we could also call this preferentialism somebody that we look at that we want to spend time with to benefit ourselves we could call it partiality we could call it discrimination we could also call it favoritism verse 1 says this my brothers in James chapter 2 as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ don't show favoritism don't look at somebody and in context here somebody who's wealthy and treat them better than somebody who is poor first we know that No matter what our race is, our position that we hold, or our sex, we are all the same in the eyes of God. Two places say this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, 11, Here there is neither or no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ in all and is in all. But Paul does not say there is no difference between the rich and poor. Have you noticed that in those particular passages? There is a difference between the rich and poor. And God also does not tell us there's no difference between other religions. Have you noticed that? As a matter of fact, he says there is only one way to God. All other religions are false. There is only one true religion. There is only one true God. And everything else is considered paganistic or worldly or humanistic. And it's to be avoided. There's only one way to God, only one road. Now, that's very, very narrow-minded. Some people would say that's very bigoted. One person gave me a definition a long time ago of what bigoted means. It means you can look through a keyhole with both eyes at once. Very narrow-minded. And and I think Jesus was very narrow-minded. He said there's only one way to heaven. There's not many ways to heaven. So he doesn't say the rich and poor are the same. Now, when it comes to judgment, the rich and poor are the same. And both, if they're wicked or they're evil, they're going to be judged just the same. That is true. But when it comes to how we're to live in this life, we're to treat everybody the same, rich and poor, but there are special problems for those who are rich. In Luke 
chapter 18, verse 24. I'll actually read it to you here. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So people can be reached that are rich, and God has a special plan for them. Now, I think that there can be those who are rich that God calls to be rich for a specific purpose, and I think that purpose is the gift of giving. Those who have the gift of giving have the ability to accumulate wealth, to amass it, and then give it away. But most of us have the tendency to accumulate wealth and hoard it and say, look at my nest egg, or look at my nest building, or look at my nest hotel chain, or look at my, you know, whatever you want to have, you want to build it up and you want to save it. But God gives us special people inside the church that have this gift of giving, and it's it's a degree. There's people who make a moderate amount, and they're able to give it all away, and people who make a whole bunch and give it away. For instance, Charles Feeney. Charles Feeney was a man who gave over $8 billion to charity. He gave away over 38 years all of his wealth with his wife. And he was an inspiration for Bill Gates and also Warren Buffett to set up these philanthropic uh, charities as well to give away their money. And so he just felt that it was time. And if you start reading stories about these billionaires and millionaires who just give everything away, one was a producer um, uh, in Hollywood, a director on films, and he just gave everything away. He moved over to Uganda and he's helping people in Uganda. You know, they just gave away their millions and millions or billions of dollars. And this guy, uh, Charles Feeney, did this. He just gave it all away. Now, if this guy is a Christian or not, I'm not quite sure. This article appeared in the Christianity Daily, and it was posted September 24, 2020. So uh, he spent 38 years giving away all his money. Now, could you do that if, if God told you, give away all your money? Well, what do I have to live on? Remember the rich young ruler? He said, give away all you have. And and sell everything, give it to the poor, and then pick up your cross and follow me. And he was unable to do that. He went away sad because of the possessions. But God knew his particular point, his pressure point, that he was unwilling to change. And so when it comes to wealth, there are a lot of problems with having a lot of wealth. Now, when I look at these guys like Charles Feeney, the fleshly response is, well, how do I become one of those charities that he wants to give to? You know, I, I would like to be one of the recipients of that or the Bill Gates Foundation or whoever Warren Buffett in his foundation or the Ford Foundation. How, how do I do that? How do I get that money? You know, there are books published on how you can get money from the federal government if you just fill out the right forms. And people buy those books and they get all the money that they can. Well, going on here in verse 2, So suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, the same thing would have been true if the person would have gone overboard and said, no, the poor person gets this good seat and the rich person has to sit down. It's showing the favoritism. That's what it's all about. And Proverbs 14, 20 says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Isn't that true? Hey, do you have a boat? Do you have a plane? You take those things out. Do you invite people with you? And they, oh, they're great friends, but lose all your money. And what happens? The phone doesn't 
get picked up when you call them. Uh, you get swiped off to the right, you know, when the, it, it's a blocked call or they're blocked on the text or something like that. that. I'm sure that happens a tremendous amount. And even Luke chapter 6, verse 24 and 25, talks about those who are rich, and it, not in a good light. It says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, remember, uh, Brady's kids, they're growing up in this world, they have everything. But eventually that wealth is going to go away. Somewhere down the line it's going to go away or the Lord's going to come back and it's not going to be needed to be worried about then. But the wealth will dissipate over time. It, it just has wings and it flies away. And then reality sets in and it's not what we think it might be. And, and so again the fleshly mood is get around people who have wealth and you can learn how to accumulate wealth or maybe they'll show you favors. And if that's the case, if that's how you're living life, that would be incorrect according to the teaching of the word. So showing favoritism is something that has been in our DNA since the Jews actually began with Abraham. Remember Abraham, he had Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born first. Ishmael was about 13 years old when uh, Isaac was born. And of course there was some tension between them and Abraham loved Ishmael. But his wife, Sarah, said, get rid of the boy, get rid of the mother. And of course, she was showing favoritism and God said, don't worry about it. You go do that. I will make him a great nation as well. But then his son, Isaac, who did Isaac like out of his kids? He liked Esau, the smelly red one. That's who he liked. And then Jacob, who was a dirty, sneaky thief, was loved by his mother. And so there was a tension going on there, showing favorites. And then Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Did that cause some problems in there? Did your parents, did you ever joke with your parents or turn to them and say, you love me more, don't you, than your other siblings? I remember my mom saying, we love you all equally, except Bill, we like him a little more. No, they didn't say that. But you get the idea. You're not supposed to show favoritism when it comes to your children if you had multiple spouses, which hopefully none of you do, uh, this idea of multiple spouses or friends, relationships, everybody is to be treated the same, on the same moral footing, same philosophically moral footing. And that's what God calls us to. So the early church was also made up of mostly Jewish converts, and there were problems even in the early church in its beginning days with the Hebraic widows being tended to in the distribution of food more than the Grecian widows. This is Acts chapter 6, and which probably would have been the case. So the, the people who got saved, mostly Jews, they would look after the widows who were also Jews. But the Grecian Jews were fewer in number and they were neglected with the giving of the food. And this is where you have the first deacons being appointed to even out what's going on. So neither Greek nor Jew. They're both the same in the eyes of God. So the problem of favoritism is ingrained in all of us and especially in our culture at large. You see it today everywhere. You see it with the wealthy. The privileges are given to the wealthy that aren't given to everyone else. I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to be a little political here for a minute. Did you see where... <clears throat> The chips that we have, the chips that are made in Hong Kong for our computers and military and everything, 
One company produces 90% of the chips that we use in the world. One company. What's going to happen to Hong Kong? Hong Kong is going to be taken over by China. China is going to control the chips. This is not a good thing. So what does Congress do? Congress says we're going to give billions, I think it's $52 billion, for investment in firms that make microchips. Nancy Pelosi's husband, before this was announced, bought $5 million in companies that produce microchips. This is called insider trading. He has privilege in that. And that happens all the time in Congress. And that's one of the problems with the government in which we live. And so if you are wealthy, opportunities come your way to become more wealthy. And there's even a lot of corruption there. And then there is the problem of favoritism in race. Have you noticed that? Well, first, you know, even back in uh, the founding of the country, there was racism back there. Uh, People who were black were not considered full human beings and they were denied rights and there were even court cases that did so and that was a travesty back then. But now it's reversing. It's called reverse discrimination where the whites are called less than human and because of the past problems that the whites are to be discriminated against. But not to mention Asians and Pacific Islanders and Native Americans. And there's just this race thing. Instead of looking at it like God does, everybody's equal. They're on the same plane. You know, I'm going to say this song we used to say, I, I sang it at least once or twice when I was a kid, when I went to church a few times. Uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. If you say that today, you're considered racist. Because, well, who's red? Well, that would be the Native American Indians. Uh, yellow, who's yellow? That would be Asians. Uh, red and yellow, black, that, that would be the people of color, so to speak, that come from Africa. And white. They're all the same. God loves all the children, everybody, just the same. But we are the ones that balkanize. The balkanization means you you take these groups and you separate them and you pit them against each other where it's rich and poor or it's uh, Asian and blacks or it's whites and uh, the Mexican, the Latinos uh, from down in South America. We, We have a tendency in our culture to pit those against each other and make a war. And we're not supposed to do that. God loves the little children, all the children of the world, and even the adults as well. And now the big thing is showing favoritism to sexual orientation. You know, that if you are cisgender, did you see the professor from Berkeley with Josh Hawley on television? If you didn't see that, you got to look it up. That men can get pregnant Oh, yes, men can get pregnant. And, and Josh Hawley was saying, you're telling me that men can get pregnant? And she goes, yes, if you're denying that, you're creating violence. And so, what are you talking about? And so there's this division that's happening everywhere. It's just slicing and dicing. And God says, don't do it. There needs to be unity amongst us. We need to look at what we have in common. We're all human beings. We all have a fallen nature. We're all in need of salvation. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're rich or poor, young or old, whatever race you are. God says, that's it, we are all the same. And verse 5 says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen 
Those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. And so there's this idea that those who are poorer, they have to rely on God more. Whenever you've been in trouble, the Bible tells us if, you, if you're in trouble, what are you supposed to do? Pray, right? And you rely on God more. How often do the rich pray compared to the poor? Well, it depends on who's rich. But normally, the rich trust in what? They trust in their wealth. They know that they can just buy their way out of anything which is there. Most of you have had families and the kids that are there, and when you first start out and you get married, you have the little kids running around, and guess where all your money goes? It goes to all the kids, and you've got to buy them clothes. I, a personal story, I can remember my mom taking the four boys in our family there was a store called The Broadway. You guys remember that? We went to The Broadway and we got five pants, we got five socks, we got five shirts, and we got a sweater or a jacket, and we got shoes. And she would take us all. And by the time we got home, we had 20 of each when we went home. Of course, we'd fight over who gets to wear what uh, when we were getting older. But it, it, that's the way it was back then that... that we had that type of income where we could do that, but my parents were spending lots of money. And when you have the kids, you're spending lots of money on the kid. I, you know, I, I heard that the cost of a babysitter now is like 40 or $50 an hour. And, and, and that's for the mediocre ones. Those aren't the ones that come recommended by somebody. And how much can you spend for child care over a month, if you put the child like next door into the Montessori school, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars. But when the kids move up and grow away, you go, ha, ah, a little relief. And then they come back and you're, you understand how it goes. But you, you help them out and then your money drains a little bit. But you have a little more money as you get a little older and you can go buy what you want. And when it comes to Christmas and birthdays, people ask you, what do you want? Oh, I don't need anything because I have everything I want. And if I want something, I just go out and buy it. So let's just go to get a meal, you know, something like that. You see how it works. But we have more. And, and so we're able to give that to our families when we're young. And we don't have much. But we want to make sure that how, we recognize how God does it too. When we're poor... We rely more on God. When we're richer, we have a tendency to trust in our wealth, in our riches. Verse 6 says, But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So I'm sure it was the habit in the synagogues that if somebody rich came in, they had a special seat where they could go sit, and the poor either had to stand on the sides the way the synagogues would be uh, formed. And by the way, if you, you don't know that, you would walk in. It would be a building similar to this. And on either side, maybe at the second or third chair in, on either side, there would be pillars going down the sides. And those who were poor would be inside the pillars. And those who were rich would be, or outside the pillars, those who were rich would be inside the pillars. And they'd probably have a place to sit uh, if the synagogue had chairs. Some of the chair, or some of the synagogues didn't have chairs, but that's how it would happen. And they would point to those who were richer and put them in the preferable seats. And so the Jews that James is writing to would be familiar with this. Now it's going into the church. It's creeping into the church. 
And he says, don't do this in the church as well. Don't give the rich the special places and forget about those who are poor. And then he points the finger at those who are rich. Look what they're doing. They're suing you. They're taking you into court and they blaspheme God's name. They're really not even believers. They're just there for political reasons or whatever because they'd be cut off if they weren't going to synagogue. That's what happens if you forsook the Jewish faith. You were to be cut off from your people. And so it's mandatory that you were there. And so this problem existed in the New Testament church. And that's what James is addressing here. Now, Paul gives some final exhortations to the rich at the end of his first letter to Timothy. He says in verse 17 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Why? Because they have a tendency to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth. Why? Because they put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And, and just a note here before I continue. You know, this idea of cryptocurrency. Uh, Joe Biden, he passed, um, I don't know if it was a resolution or a direction, an executive order, to have the banks start looking into their own cryptocurrency. And the other independent cryptocurrencies which are out there, they're independent, and that's why they're, I believe they're a threat to the establishment which is out there. All the banks are looking into their own cryptocurrency, which is government-regulated. Now, at some point, I firmly believe this is going to happen. You're not going to be able to go in and use money. <clears throat> it is going to have to be a digital transaction. It first started with electronic funds transfer. Now you take your phone and you hold it up to the Starbucks reader and you get your Starbucks and you put it back down. You don't have to carry any cash. And it's all going to digital where the government will be able to control Everything you do with your money, if they desire to do so, you think you are independent at that point and you are not. They will know exactly what you spend the money on. They will keep track of your credits. I think I talked about this last week or the week before. Your social credits, if you are worthy, then you will be able to spend. If you're not worthy, you will not be able to spend. At that point, people will lose a lot of wealth, except for the very wealthy. They'll probably hold on to it somehow. They'll, they'll have some deals going on. But the rest of us who don't have billions and billions of dollars will be subject to this. <clears throat> and so for us, we have to have a light touch on the things of this world. If this happens in our lifetime, and it very well could be, it depends on who gets elected in the next election and the election after that, we're heading in that direction. Everything is going to be digital, and it's going to go worldwide. By the way, have you seen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the riots around the world because of food shortages and high gas prices. Sri Lanka, 100,000 people in the streets. France, same thing. It, I read this article, had 10,000 in like seven different countries where people are showing up and, and they're just protesting what's going on because the wealth is being decreased. That's where we're headed. That's what they want to happen. You know, the gas shortages that we have right now, they are designed to get rid of our wealth. Why are they doing this? Because they, the people who are in charge, they want it to go in a particular direction. And so if we have a tight grip on our wealth, yeah, better not so much have that tight grip because you will be very disappointed. This is a worldly system. God did not set this up, but it's what we have devised, and we're heading in that direction. 
So if you have a lot, don't, if the wealth takes wings and flies away, you go, oh, well, I'm still here. The Lord still wants me alive. He still wants me to press forward. I'll do what I can. And you'll pray to him all that much more because of the less that you will have. Which on one hand is good, on another hand not so good in this life. Now as we go on here, both the rich and poor may be poor towards God and both the poor and the rich may be rich towards God. So there are the wealthy that are rich towards God, there are the poor that are rich towards God and vice versa. We are also not to honor the poor over the rich because they are in poverty but assist them out if we can. Help them to get out. Now, ours is not to judge, and ours is, not to tr- or, or ours is to treat these equally because there are pitfalls to both. And Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. And I guess what I would have you keep in mind is, God considers both the rich and the poor a treasure. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all that he had bought and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Some people believe it's us looking for the kingdom of God. I don't think that's what this is teaching. I believe it is referring to Jesus Christ looking at us. We are the pearl of great price. We are the treasure hidden in the field. We are both rich and poor, and Jesus died for us. And so that's, that's God's view of who we are. So Jesus loves all of these equally. Jesus will treat everyone with the, the same. And so we ought to follow his example. Now verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery and do not murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what is he doing here? Remember, James is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, so he brings up the law. And in the law, he's saying, do not commit adultery, but if you murder or vice versa, you're guilty of the whole law. So the Jews are going to understand this, and when it comes to mercy for the poor, you better be merciful to the poor. Otherwise, judgment without mercy will be shown to you, just as you've shown it to the poor. Scripture says that we're going to be judged with the same measure that we judge with. The world would say, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. No, the Bible says make a proper judgment. And so these proper judgments that we're making need to be in line with what truth is. And God gives us the truth. We are to keep the whole law. We are to treat the poor just the same as we would to treat the rich. From this, he makes this segue. He goes into a living faith and a dead faith. Remember, Romans talks about the inner saving faith from God's perspective, and James talks about the outer serving faith that comes from the human perspective. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? It's funny that the Food for Thought was dealing with this as well. I can't tell you how many times the Food for Thought deals with the very issue that I have in my message, and I'm not picking those. Kim is picking those. And, And so 
you look at this and, and you're treating the poor the same as the rich and he, he says that's a good work and again what good is it my brothers if a, claim, a man claims to have faith but has no deeds ask yourself what have you done for the Lord it doesn't bring you salvation you don't have to work for salvation but if you are saved let me ask you if you're a fruit tree what are you going to produce fruit it's just going to happen if you're a corn stock what are you going to produce corn this isn't difficult this is not a hard philosophical argument if you are a Christian what are you going to produce good works now what kind of good works would those be I think there was a list on the um, the screen up there that we could read it's like helping out in ministry going on a uh, trip to a foreign country doing a vacation Bible school ministering to people who are poor all of those things or giving to those who do go we're supposed to have some kind of works if you're a teacher you're supposed to be teaching if you're a giver you're supposed to be giving if you're an encourager you find people to encourage you grab them by the shoulder say this is going to turn out for your benefit even though you lost your house everything burned down and you know your dog died whatever the case might be you grab that person if you're an encourager and encourage them you know there's the gift of administration the person who has all these numbers and figures in their head and they see how things line up in columns and rows and if you want to organize something that person does it if you just simply go to church go home that was wonderful what games on this weekend you know something like that no prepare to do something for the Lord when you get up in the morning you should ask Lord bring somebody bring the worst pagan in my path that I might witness to him this week and prepare me for it whether it's in your devotion or what you're currently reading you know make sure that you are prepared you're ready to go Oftentimes I'll sit down and I'll just review what I know and what I don't know in order to sharpen my skills. Like I carry a New World Translation with me in my truck. Why? Because occasionally there's some Jehovah Witnesses out there and I have it with me. And of course they ask me, are you an ex-Jehovah Witness? Because then they won't want to talk to me. I say, no, I'm not, but I do have your book and I would like to talk to you about it. So do that. Or somebody who's just not saved or somebody who's struggling you know, somebody who was church that is not churched anymore, go and witness to them and, and get them back into church and back into the faith. It goes on here to say, and it's talking about the poor again, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily, excuse me, clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? Now, you've heard me talk about this before. How many truly poor do we have in this country? really not many and those who are truly poor they can be homeless uh, which is out there and usually that homelessness is by design they want to be out there usually it's a drug camp or it's mental illness which is out there and those who truly want to get out the street there are programs I've, I've been over to the one the old and Emma's in El Cajon uh, you know, I've been to meetings over there if people want to get off the street there are ways to get off the street but those who are truly in need you go to a third world country it breaks your heart because you want to help you want to assist people even walking through markets I've been uh, through some markets over in Cambodia there's this one girl at least she had a wheelchair her limbs were all shriveled up she's in the wheelchair and she just has a cup out there and there's people walking by and, and 
they have money and they're buying things. It's like an open market fair that was over there the time I was over there. You, you see the people with the ailments and you, you just want to help them all you can. And mostly what we do is only temporary help, but giving them the gospel along with that, you know, that's an assistance to them as far as eternity is concerned. And we can do that. We can pray for them. We can give to those types of efforts out there. And that's what God calls us to do. Now, I could go on and on with this, but we're running out of time. My prayer for you is that you don't look at anybody with any type of favoritism. That if you run across somebody who is extremely wealthy, well, bless them. Pray for them. They're undergoing trials that we don't even know. And those who are extremely poor, same thing. Bless them. Pray for them. And if you can do something for them, do something for them that will not enable them to stay in their poverty, but will assist them getting out. And then be praying this next week about, well, what works would the Lord have you do? Is it something with money? Is it something with your person? Is it something with a sacrifice he wants you to make? Just ask him and he will answer you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight that James gives to the 12 tribes that is also for us, not to be a respecter of persons, not to desire an extreme amount of wealth, but also help us to avoid poverty. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in this endeavor as we seek to follow you and be a witness to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.